Welcome to the Katie Halper Show. My name's Katie Halper. We're here every week from 6-ish to 7 p.m. on WBAI 99.5 FM. You can also find us at WBAI.org. And I'm here, as always, with my co-pilot, Gabe Pacheco. Hey, what's up? I'm right here. You are right here. In Sometimes the co-pilot you say, seat. In the co-pilot seat, as usual. Sometimes you say present. I like that, too. Clear and it present. It gives us a very collegiate sense. And then... We also have with us, as usual, in a very chilled out, like, I almost think he's smoked a lot of marijuana. Medicinal. Uh, medicinal, yeah. We have Reggie Johnson. Yeah, that's me. That's him. Yeah. On the ones and twos. On like the yeah. ones like and twos. Yeah. Like a Zen statue like in a, a garden. Yes. Yes. We also have live in studio with us a very funny comedian, Tarek Daniels, and we're going to be talking about Bill Cosby with him because... It's so funny what's going on. Hilarious. It's hilarious. So yeah, we're, we have a whole laugh track set up too. Who is this Bill Cosby you're talking about? I've never heard of this person. Oh, you haven't? No, I haven't heard of it. Is, is he like a comedian or something you know, like you that? You haven't seen Leonard Part 6? Leonard Part 6? Who, who saw that? What is what is that? I don't know. Whoever you know saw that, that? that? I feel like that movie was the end of my childhood. <laughs> um, what is Leonard Part 6? I don't know what it Bill, is. Uh, Bill Cosby uh, made a movie. In the late 80s. Not uh, the one about being an angel or something. That's no. Ghost Dad. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess he made two movies yeah. in the late 80s. But that one was where he is a, a secret agent, a super spy. Oh, for whom? And it's the sixth uh, film in a series of films that right. never... It was that, supposed to be a parody. Oh, okay. Well, we also have with us, no big deal, hashtag MBD, Jay Smooth. He's going to also be weighing in on... Jay Smooth from The Ill Doctrine? Oh, yeah. Jay Smooth... No, we had this problem last week. Jay Smooth from the Underground Railroad You mean WB- the longest-running hip-hop radio show? There you show? go. Yes. Yes, that's, yes that's, exactly. That's, that's, that very that's one, one. Who also is pretty well-known for his videos. As well. As well. Secondarily. Mm-hmm. The Ill Doctrine vlogging series, if you will. And we're going to be talking to Jay in front of an audience, so you guys need to come out tonight, 8 p.m., Brooklyn Commons. You need to get in your cars. You need to get in your cars. You need to turn us on, on the radio, turn in us your on, car. On the radio, in the car. And then drive. And then drive. Straight here. Well, they can here. drive. Or you can take the train. Or, or a bus or walk train. if you live in the neighborhood. They can listen to the Katie Halper Show and go attend the Katie Halper Show. Uh, at 8 p.m. Yes. I, if I for whatever reason, like you have a, you, your appendix bursts or you live near a volcano that erupts and you can't make it, you can go to the commonsbrooklyn.org. That's the commonsbrooklyn.org slash node slash 777. Again, that's the commonsbrooklyn.org slash node slash 777. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're all good. Okay. Yeah. We're all good. Yeah. All right. I feel like we need to like uh, do some Zen exercises, but I don't know any. Anyway, I wanted to give us something that we haven't had in a long time, which is a Trump date. Do you guys remember Trump dates? Yeah, that's from when we first started the show. Yeah, we we started on a very strong foot. We were uh, captivated by the man. We were. And his hair, his orange hair. And his and his everything, his songs, the way he started that wonderful campaign rally. <laughs> and I thought it was some te- techno dance song, but it was actually a song by Neil Young, which is funny because Neil Young then, after Trump used his song without his permission, Neil Young endorsed Bernie Sanders. That was an interesting <laughs> moment. We're going to play you a new ad that Donald Trump has released. I haven't even seen this one yet. It's pretty amazing. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. 
The politicians can pretend it's something else, but Donald Trump calls it radical Islamic terrorism. That's why he's calling for a temporary shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until we can figure out what's going on. He'll quickly cut the head off ISIS and take their oil. And he'll stop illegal immigration by building a wall on our southern border that Mexico will pay for. We will make America great again. So, Gabe, what are your thoughts on this? I, I mean, it sounds like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah. I can't about believe to say that, that is a legitimate... I was just about to say that. Campaign advertisement. It's pretty beautiful, right? I mean, it sounds like a WW. Like, I want to see fireworks. I want, like, the ultimate warrior to just, like, burst out. He's going to chop from, the head off. From behind a Trump banner. He's going right. to He's gonna build a wall. He's going to, until we figure all this stuff out. Hey, hey, guys, we We're need to figure some stuff out. We're going to ban the Muslims out. and make the and Mexicans the build a Muslim-proof wall. With no Muslim can get through that. Yeah. They're going to pay impermeable. for it. They love it. They're they my friends. It. They're my friends. Look, some of my be- look, the Mexicans love me. The Muslims love me more than the Mexicans. It's it's awkward. It's uncomfortable because I'm so loved. Check my Facebook account. You'll see how I'm many get- mutual friends I have with all these guys. Except El Chapo, and I'm gonna chop his head off. He's I'm the- over. I'm sounding like uh, Bernie, Sanders. Bernie Sanders. This is terrible. I can't. You, I gotta improve You keep my forgetting Trump. that he's also a he's a big fan of the blacks. Oh, people all know he's like super tight with the Mexicans, super tight with the oh, Muslims, yeah. the Chinese, yeah. probably his favorite. Uh-huh. But he did once say, actually a couple times, he said it more recently. He's like, yes. you know, Anderson Cooper, you know, I've, I've always had a f- fabulous relationship with African-Americans. African-Americans love me. I have a great relationship with African-Americans, as you possibly have heard. I just have great respect for them. And, and I, you know, they like me, I like them. But his classic vintage line was, I've always had a great relationship with the blacks. And historically speaking, you know how you know you don't have a great relationship with the blacks? How? You call them the blacks. Yes. That's just like a rule of thumb, I would think. Yeah. Unless Um, their last name is the blacks. Is the blacks. It could be both. Right. Okay. So uh, here's what's interesting about Trump's ad is that uh, when he says he'll stop illegal immigration by building a wall on our southern border that Mexico will pay for, the video footage shows dozens of people streaming across the border as if they were ants fleeing an anthill. But guess what that actually shows? It's a border. Oh, yes. Break it down. It's a border from a small Spanish enclave on the mainland of Morocco. Okay. So they're showing footage from a, on a European border. And of course, a Trump spokesman said, literally, no expletive, no blank Sherlock, but he didn't say Sherlock. He said no expletive, completely on purpose, a thousand percent. He's been trained in the like Donald Trump hyperbole. I love it. Although a thousand is actually kind of low. Anyway, we are really excited to have been able to, to bring you that story because we think it's super important. But we're also going to bring you another story. Recently, Tuesday, Obama signed an executive order relating to gun violence. This Tuesday, President Obama announced a series of executive actions governing gun access in America. Chief among them, a plan to expand background checks by requiring occasional gun sellers to get licensed. Joining us now is Jennifer Masia, Masia, actually, staff writer at The Trace and author of Never Tell Her Businesses to Strangers, a 2010 memoir in which she examined her father's violent criminal past. Jen, are you there? Katie, how you doing? Good, you? Good, very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show, first of all. But, yeah, thanks for having me. And sorry I mispronounced your last name the first time. 
Oh, I'm, you'll pay. You'll I pay will. later. Uh-oh. Coming from you, that's actually, as the, audio, <laughs> as the listeners will soon find out, that's actually kind of scary to hear. Um, yeah. So, Jen, can you start out by telling us a little bit about what got you interested in gun violence in the first place? Yeah. Um, well, I was working at the New York Times as a news assistant. I was working for Jonas Sara, who wrote primarily about business. He writes about sports now. He became obsessed with Sandy Hook because he had a young son. And he said, that could have been my son. And he decided to study gun violence. Who's getting shot in America every day? Now, we always know about the mass shooting. They make the news. But the everyday gun violence, which is what seems to have inspired the president to do this, is always swept under the rug. And since then, I think a lot of people had the same instinct because media now, if you notice, gun violence is in the news every day. And it, it hasn't been like that ever that I can remember. So it was kind of the beginning of a movement. Joe picked up on something. And I produced that blog for him every day. I tracked who was getting shot. We used media reports. And then a project uh, was funded, a nonprofit single-subject website uh, devoted exclusively to gun violence, which doesn't really exist now um, anywhere else. But I'm sure they'll pop up in All right, thank years. God for small favors. Oh, yeah. The site I work for is called The Trace. And um, thetrace.org, we're a nonprofit, and all we write about is gun violence and policy. It's a problem. We're not advocates, but we right. see it's a problem. And we're called advocates just by saying it's a problem, which is crazy. Oh, right. So because you're reporting objective facts, you're yes. bleeding heart liberals with your panties all oh, yeah. in a bunch. Yeah. yeah, and what's funny is a lot of people, like some people in the gun violence prevention movement are like our gun owners themselves. It's really changed. Right. It's gun control has changed a lot. Right. So what can you tell us? What's your assessment of what Obama did with his executive order? So basically, the most important thing is um, he's saying that, you know, gun sellers in this country, you, they fall into two categories. Uh, licensed gun sellers who perform background checks and private sellers who are like, you know, hey, I, on, they go online and they say, I have uh, a gun I want to sell. Meet me in this parking lot. And you sell a gun. No background check. Now, not conducting background checks on guns. If you're a private seller, if you're Joe Schmo, is not illegal. People do not realize this. The only thing that makes having a gun whose owner hasn't gone through a check is if you live in a state where you have to register it. If you live in Vermont... You can walk away. Who is going to know? No one. So in a way, like, you know, it's not even a loophole. It's like a gigantic gap. There's just nothing there. And that is a myth. People don't realize that. Um, the Brady Bill that called for background checks in the 90s never, ever talked about private sales. It was only federally licensed dealers. Now, 40% of gun sales in this country are unlicensed sellers. That's a lot of guns whose owners are not getting background checks. Right. And what he wants to do is say, if you sell a couple guns here and there, you have to get licensed. There's no amateur status here. It's all professional now. The question is, does it have any teeth? Mm. And that's what we'll find out. Wow, you delivered that like a real Nancy Grace. The question <laughs> uh -oh. is, does it have any I teeth? See and that's I see a we'll show in my out. future. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll find out next at 11. I mean, didn't the NRA themselves say this wasn't that big of a deal? Yeah. He basically reiterated a lot of existing law, which it's hard to, like, make anything happen. Um, the ATF tried to reclassify bullets as armor-piercing, and that was literally just a reiteration of what was already in the handbook, and it blew up like crazy last year. So it's like you have to be really careful. They'll jump on everything. The fact that it didn't jump on this, I mean, I, I, I don't know why the NRA says or does anything it does anymore. So I have no idea if they're scared or if they just don't care or they're playing it down. Who knows? Right. 
What's also interesting is that we have a very unexpected defender of President Obama, and that man would be Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly is telling people, Bill O, exactly, the man who's <laughs> fond of loofahs um, and falafel and uh-huh, sexual harassment former. and uh, yeah. an erotica, those who trespass. Mm-hmm. Great novel he wrote. Um, He basically said on his brilliant show, he said, if you're paranoid about the government coming to take away your weapons, Mm -hmm. that's your problem. It was kind of amazing to hear him give his no nonsense stuff to his own followers. Hasn't he said he has said a couple of reasonable things in the past? Like a broken clock. uh, Stop clock. Stop clock. Like a broken clock is right. Right. Twice a day. If you had to break this down, what are the things that people need to know about what just happened? I mean, there were a couple things. Who's going to do all these background checks? Now, America, (laughs) we have 63,000 background checks a day in this country. There were 23 million last year. A record was set by 2 million. So who's going to handle all of that? Who handles 63,000 now? It's like a few hundred ATF agents. He wants to hire 230 more. Mm. Um, Job creation. Job creation, yeah. Yeah, but the ATF is... They're perpetually underfunded. They're like the stepchild. They used to be in Treasury. They used to be part of Treasury because their they big thing was collecting taxes. Right. And Oh, yeah, you know, like, like uh, Ottoman Empire style. It's exactly. always the tax collecting that brings you down, right? Am I right? Exactly. It's Hello. always. I thought it was interesting that it came out, uh, and it, it was such a feel-good moment for everyone on my <laughs> Facebook feed that uh, is liberal and wants more gun control. And I also want gun control, but I wondered if it was a symbolic action or not. And then I realized at the exact same time, uh, Obama's um, ICE agents are deporting families <laughs> back to uh, Central America. And uh, he, and shed a tear. he shed a tear. certain death. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he shed a tear for uh, children that died last year, which is terrible while he's sending children back who are still alive with their right. families to be fodder for MS-13. Yes. He's the deporter-in-chief. He's he, deported more people than any other president, yeah. am I right? It felt like a bait-and-switch. So we have this moment to feel good and see him as sort of a compassionate leader and a hero, but right. uh, he's, he's uh, why is he doing tearing that? families Anyone away know? from safety. Anyone know why he's doing that? We're going we're gonna to have someone on next in a few episodes away, but do you have any insights into that, Jen? Not that it's your area at all, but you're just a generally... No, it's generally disheartening because uh, a lot of the women, from what I read in the Times article um, today or yesterday, most people are being deported in absentia. They don't understand their rights. They qualify for asylum. If If they're from Syria, they're, you know, engendering a lot of backlash too, but not the same kind of attitude. Right. Um, these people are asylum seekers. They're being murdered. Right. Yeah, That's okay. yeah. yeah exactly. And they're, they're already here as well. So, yeah. I mean, I see on, on the left, I see a lot of, uh, uh, people petitioning to bring in Syrian refugees. Well, we, we have people here now right. who, uh, and the conditions at home conditions that we created through our war on drugs. Hashtag and, El Salvador, hashtag Guatemala, hashtag the Contras, <laughs> hashtag Nicaragua. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag Honduras, not calling it a coup to kidnap the president in his pajamas. Okay, but yeah. All, all that stuff. And then uh, shout-outs to the mayor of Philadelphia, though, uh, who uh, recently uh, turned Philadelphia into a sanctuary city. City by, of brotherly love. By not mm-hmm. uh, by saying that he wasn't going to cooperate with the uh, federal ICE agents. So that was, that was a bold move on his part. Yeah. yeah. And Deval Patrick, the governor mm-hmm. of Massachusetts, he, as Heather Gold and I said on an episode of Morning Jew, he got the award for most appropriate Holocaust analogy ever 
which is a rarity because everyone uses the Holocaust and the Nazis to make terrible points that have nothing to do with it. But he actually, including in gun control, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he included he referred to the Holocaust and to the U.S. turning away Jewish refugees to why we have to let in Central American refugees. Yeah, so I that was a hell to, of a story. That yeah. was a hell of a story. Those uh, re, uh, those people escaping the camps, sitting on the coast of Florida. Oh right, not you know, let in, and yeah. getting turned back. And some of them got sent to London, but some of them died. Yeah, exactly. So. Good. You really know your stuff. You are a pizza bagel, I, so it is. I am a pizza bagel. Is. My mother, my mother was Jewish, but I learned most of it. I didn't even know. My mom, like we celebrated Christmas. Oh, my yeah. mom was totally secular. It was only when I Me moved too. to New York because I grew up in California. Right. So. And Jen, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your father's? Um, vocation and how this relates to your studying gun violence? Yeah, um, I always knew that my dad had committed some crime because uh, he violated his parole when I was five and the FBI came, but I didn't realize that um, before I was born, he had a criminal record. He had been in jail, in prison for 12 years for murder, uh, gun murder. So um, I always knew in increments over the stages of my life, I learned what he did. And then the internet really, uh, in 2000, when all those records went online, forget it. I found out what he did which was murder, and I confronted my mother. I, I explored it after my parents had both died. They both died in my 20s. Um, I explored it, and then when I got uh, when I got assigned this beat, it wasn't until I had been doing it for, like, six months, because I'm, like, the queen of disassociation, mm. that Joan O'Sara came up to me and said, yeah, <laughs> he came up to me, and he's like, you know, this is really kind of, you know, the universe may be writing itself because your father took, like, half a dozen lives with guns. Mm. And look at you now. And I was I was just like, oh, my God. How did I not see that before? But, you know, that's journalism. You totally, you right. separate a lot. Right. But, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to right some wrongs, maybe. Sure. <laughs> uh, denial. It's not just a river in Egypt, as they say. Jen, when, where can we find you on the um, Internet? On the Internet, um, you can find my work at uh, thetrace.org. On Twitter, uh, Jennifer Masia is my handle, M-A-S-C-I-A. And um, JenniferMassia.com has all of my work, et cetera. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. And we Thanks will for having me. have you again. And we are in going studio. To, yes, live yeah. in studio. But thank you for yes. calling in. Thank you, Katie. Okay. Bye, Jen. Bye, Gabe. Bye. Mm-hmm. Bye, Jen. Now we're going to have, by the way, Gabe, I like the way you were like, those dead children are so last year. I'm kidding. You're, you have a heart of gold. You weren't <laughs> saying that. But the way you said it made me think that, oh, He's, yeah. Yeah, he, he wasn't. Uh, if you had, and it, you're right. I'm not that cold. You're not that. I'm not that callous. But obviously, I knew you weren't saying I understand that. what it's your me. tone is. It's it wasn't, me. yeah. No, of course, I'm not actually accusing him of, of, of telling course, dead children that they're that off you, trend. I know that. Uh, you can yeah, off, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's totally God. off brand for me. Yeah, that's totally, totally off brand. I'm worried about Central the... America is where it's at. All right, we're we're it's, past that's my constituency. That place, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Instead of taking a musical break, we're going to take a a vloggy break with one of our guests who will be talking to us in studio right after this, and he'll also be talking to us at 8 p.m. on a live show, Jay Smooth, and we're going to listen to a video that's very relevant to Bill Cosby on Don Lemon, race and respectability, and then we're going to be joined by comedian Ray Sani and Tarek Daniels and Jay Smooth to talk about Bill Cosby. And remember, come here. Come here tonight, Brooklyn Commons, 388 Atlantic, to see the live show that we are going to do for the first time ever in front of an audience, and you'll find out even more about Jay Smooth, like what his favorite drink is, which may sh- just may shock you. Okay, here's Jay Smooth's video. We are having technical difficulties, okay. which will not be repeated at all tonight in our live show, by the way, because if we have something like that happen, 
we can mime. We don't need sound. You'll see us and you'll laugh. Um, let's see. No big deal, but Jay Smooth has been called one of the sexiest men alive by Salon. Mm-hmm. Gabe, you know what that's like. Uh, yeah. You were called that by a salon of a comedians. Whole, a whole salon. <laughs> a whole salon of comedians. And Rachel Maddow called his work. Uh, genius. Genius. Yeah. Yep. So we've had, we've had several geniuses on the show. People who have been officially called geniuses. Yep. Yeah, we have been. Gabe, tell us about your week so far. Tell us about your thoughts on Cosby. How he entered your consciousness again and how he actually inspired your own comedy. He's almost the father of your comedy. Oh, man. But this was before all the, uh, the allegations of rape. But I those mean, are so he, 10 years ago. I think he was highly influential on in my comedy when I watched Fat Albert as right. an 8-year-old. Oh, that's so You know cute. what I mean? Um, but uh, it's, been, it's been a while since I've paid any attention to him. Uh, you know, the first time he came back up into my consciousness was when he started talking about he had a metaphor for respectability around, what was it, ba- baked goods? It was uh, like pound his... Pound cake. It was his pound cake speech? Oh, man. I'm talking about these people who cry. When the son is standing there in an orange suit, where were you when he was two? Where were you when he was 18? And how come you don't know he had a pistol? These are not political criminals. These are people going around stealing Coca-Cola. People getting shot in the back of the head over a piece of pound cake. And then we all run out and we're outraged. Oh, the cops shouldn't have shot him. What the hell was he doing with the pound cake in his hand? We've got to take the neighborhood back. It's right around the corner. It's standing on the corner. It can't speak English. It doesn't want to speak English. It's th- I can't even talk the way these people talk. Why you ain't where you is, go wild back. I don't know who these people are. And, and, and I blamed the kid until I heard the mother talk. And then I heard the father talk. This is all in the house. Everybody knows it's important to speak English, except these knuckleheads. You can't land a plane with why you ain't where. You can't be a doctor with that kind of crap coming out of your mouth. Why can't you hit the streets? Why can't you clean it out yourself? It's our time now, ladies and gentlemen. It is our time. And I have good news for you. It's not about money. It's time for you to not accept this language that these people are speaking, which will take them nowhere. What the hell good is Brown versus the Board of Education if nobody wants it? Let's start parenting. That was the last time that I paid attention to him before uh, his um, his recent troubles. His career rape, rape, career <laughs> rape. Yeah, his career rapism. His, yeah, his uh, allegations of being a career rapist. Right, exactly. So, so we're going to play that very Jay Smooth video on Don Lemon race and respectability. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So I must say, I have been amazed to find out about all of the mystical, magical things that can happen if black people pull their pants up. 
Have you heard about this? It turns out that we can change the world. We can make miracles happen on Earth by pulling our pants up. You know the sci-fi movie Dark City where every night the whole architecture of the city starts shifting and changing around? Well, apparently that happens in real life whenever a black man pulls his pants up. For real, as soon as you do it, your whole neighborhood starts changing all around you. Suddenly there are all these well-funded schools and public resources and affordable housing. It's incredible. Whenever a young black man pulls his pants up, the very inner workings of the cosmos immediately realign in his favor. And I know that's hard to believe. I know most of you won't believe that. But to me, that's what's so beautiful about the politics of respectability. The way it lets you know that even in this jaded, cynical world, there are still some people out there who believe in magic. And in case it's not clear, I'm talking about Don Lemon's advice to black people for fixing their problems, and I'm being sarcastic because his advice was f***ing terrible. Because black people, if you really want to fix the problem, here's just five things that you should think about doing. Here's number five. Pull up your pants. Walking around with your ass and your underwear showing is not okay. You get my point? Number four now is the N-word. Black people stop using it. Entertainers, stop deluding yourselves or themselves and others that you're somehow taking the word back. Now number three, respect where you live. Start small by not dropping trash, littering in your own communities. I've lived in several predominantly white neighborhoods in my life. I rarely, if ever, witness people littering. I live in Harlem now. It's an historically black neighborhood. Every single day I see adults and children dropping their trash on the ground when a garbage can is just feet away. Number two, finish school. You want to break the cycle of poverty? And number one, and probably the most important, just because you can have a baby, it doesn't mean you should, especially without planning for one or getting married first. More than 72% of children in the African-American community are born out of wedlock. That means absent fathers. And the studies show that lack of a male role model is an express train right to prison. And the cycle continues. And that's today's No Talking Points. I mean, the thing is, there are two types of advice that people usually give. There's advice that you give to try and help someone with their problems, and then there's advice that you give to help yourself feel better about not knowing how to help them with their problems. And the difference is all in the context. Like, if you tell someone to make sure they brush and floss their teeth every day, generally speaking, that's good advice. But if you're talking to someone who just lost their teeth because they got punched in the face, within that context, your advice is f***. Terrible. And that is what Don Lemon did this week and how respectability politics function in general. They're based on handing out advice that's valid in the abstract but totally useless in context. Advice that serves not to help another person with their problems but instead to implicitly blame that person for their problems so that you can feel better about seeing them have problems. That is the function of respectability politics. Its function is not to help those young black men that we walk by on the street. Its function is to help us mollify our shame that we project onto those young black men when we walk by them on the street. Our shame, our petty superficial shame that far too often comes from us internalizing the same racism that's really causing their problems. That is the function of respectability politics. I would say it's a tangled web we weave, but I don't think Don Lemon wants us to talk about weaves. And I don't mean to make this all about him. I feel 
feel bad to come at Don Lemon like this because I've always respected him up until now. And I don't know that he is manifesting internalized racism, but he is feeding into a mindset that encourages it. And when he tells us that his rant about saggy pants and littering and no wedding, no womb was just common sense advice that everyone should hear, he's willfully ignoring the context in which he spoke. Don Lemon did not drop all that Uncle Ruckus life coaching into a vacuum. He dropped it into the middle of a national conversation about the death of Trayvon Martin, about how we as a country could let him be killed, let his killer go unpunished, and let our children have to go out in the world knowing that they could be next because our system is not set up to protect them. And when Don Lemon comes into that conversation going on about saggy pants and the N-word, he's making about as much sense as Steve Carell saying, I love lamp. Black children and black single mothers are not the problem, and your frivolous, lazy thinking condescension does not help them with any of their problems. All it does is help you self-medicate your shame, your middle-class cringe that you feel when you walk by them. That is not their issue. That is your issue. And it has no place in this conversation. And what's really frustrating to me is that the biggest silver lining, the most hopeful sign we've had in this past month is all of the positive, clear-sighted, righteous energy that's coming from our youth, from the Trayvon generation. When I look at the Black Youth Project and the Dream Defenders, I see our children already starting to climb that mountain while you're still yelling at them to get off your lawn. And that, most of all, is why I wish we could let go of that respectability politics, stop being the brick Tamlin of the national race conversation and start supporting and standing by that Trayvon generation that has already started showing us the way forward. And that was none other than Jay Smooth, who we will be talking to shortly and will also be having at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic this very night at 8 p.m. for our first live in front of an audience broadcast taping live streamed Katie Halper show. I dressed up for the show. I he, got a fresh did. haircut. I'm ready oh, to go. Oh, you did? Did you get a haircut? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Check he's it wearing out the a sides. Form, he's wearing a, hey, I look he looks, great. He's wearing a tux. But you got to come in person to see it. Yeah. You'll, you'll never know the truth if you don't come. So excited. We are speaking with three amazing guests. Jay Smooth, who I already mentioned, who is the man behind the Underground Railroad. The radio program, the Underground Underground Railroad, longest running hip hop radio show in, in New, New York. York. Hi, Jay. Hello. Also, the creator of videos that, like the one we just saw, of the ill doctrine genre, if you will. And we also have live in studio with us Tarek Daniels, who's performed at Gotham for Homo Comicus and was featured on the web series Gaze. And you can find him online at Tarek Daniels. And we performed together at a benefit for Bernie Sanders. Yes, hello. Thanks for having hello. me. Hello. And we also have on the phone with us Ray Sani. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, Ray. Can you Thanks hear so me? Much. Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Yep, we're all good. Awesome. So, And Ray Sani is a comedian and writer from Brooklyn, New York, who has been bringing her unique perspective on everything from pop culture to race and gender relations to audiences all over. Ray co-hosts the three... Uh, uh, can I say that word? I can, right? It's a historic yeah. term. Three A Negroes podcast and the monthly. Oh, Jay, you can laugh into the mic. That's a theme on the show that no one does, but please do. And the monthly stand-up show Loudmouth and has been seen in GQ. I did not know this. Damn. It, darn. GQ, The Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, and in Complex Magazine. You can find Ray on Twitter. 
at Ray Sani, that's R-A-E-S-A-N-N-I, where she muses on her love for cheddar cheese, NBA players, and being a black person. And uh, celibacy campaigns, let's be honest. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm off that. Oh, you're off that, good. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back, lady. So I wanted to talk to you guys, and I thought that, Jay, your video about Don Lemon was pretty apropos, given uh, that we're talking about Bill Cosby. But I want to talk to you guys because two of you are comedians. One of you and all of you talk about politics, race, gender in your work. And I f some people I know are saying like, oh, why are we paying attention to this Bill Cosby thing? It's celebrity gossip. It's I would venture to say it's actually not. And the reason, of course, he's back in the news is because last week, Bill Cosby was charged with three counts of aggravated indecent assault. The felony charges came from an incident that was more than 10 years ago when uh, Andrea Constance says Bill Cosby drugged and assaulted her in his home. He, of course, says that he intends to fight the charges and reminds us all the time that no court has found him liable for sexual misconduct. So I wanted to know what you guys thought of Bill Cosby before his name was associated with serial rape and after. And, and Jay, have you considered just remixing that? Don Lemon video, but putting in Bill Cosby and adding the, the rape? I wouldn't have been as diplomatic if I was talking about okay, Bill. We'd right. have to do a whole new version. <laughs> right, because respectability politics is one thing. It's one level of problematic. Respectability politics with the side of serial rape is another thing entirely, right? Mm, sounds much more Republican in some <laughs> way, shape, or form. Right, as in hypocrisy scandals. Well, right. yeah, I always feel like I hear evangelical right. uh, preachers or like uh, far-right politicians who uh, Get have busted like, tapping very... their toes in bathrooms. Yeah, absolutely. That's Larry Craig, y'all. Okay. Actually, you know, Tarek met Bill Cosby. I Are did... you the only person among us who has? Not to, yeah. not to shame anyone else. <laughs> I don't want to Cosby shame you, but please I don't, tell us about I hope about none that. of the, the women met Bill Cosby. No, yeah. Um, yeah, I did meet Bill Cosby. Before all this, I loved him growing up. I, he, I mean, he was great. I loved the Cosby show. I loved the stand-up. You know, and then later years, he became a curmudgeon and was kind of mean. When I did meet him, it was in 2008, summer of 2008, at his daughter's um, boutique opening. And my friend and I went, hoping he'd be there. And he was there, smack in the middle of the room, sitting there in the middle in a chair, with um, sunglasses on like he was a king on a throne. And he'd stop, smile with people, take photos. And I was scared of him because he was <laughs> so angry and such a grumpy old man, that persona I had gotten. But I still loved him and I was, you know, really excited. So he saw me hiding from him and he told me to come over. Because he's good at finding people he hiding from He was good, yeah, he's like, he, exactly. <laughs> he was like, why are you sitting in corners? Why are you hiding from me? I see you hiding from me. Yeah. He said, a black man's about to be president of the United States. We do not have to hide really? anymore. That? Yeah, that's what he said. Wow. And Everyone, I was like, wow, Mr. Cosby, I love you, I'm a fan. Uh, I went to, you inspired me to go to college. She asked what school I went to. We had small talk, we took a photo. I cherish that photo until now. On your Facebook page that you had posted a photo of yourself with Bill Cosby, <coughs> and it said... It said, your hero is evil. It hurts, but it's true. Yeah. And I wrote that the other night after a couple of whiskeys, just mm. seeing so many people, so many friends and family just say horrible things about the women that are accusing right, him. Right, right. And, you know, I have three sisters. I uh, have three goddaughters. Right. It was infuriating. They were, And some people were saying, I believe the women, but they got what they asked for when they went oh, over there. Oh, that's a different kind of rape. I like that. That's like I, I recognize that they're telling the truth. It's just all their fault. There's yeah. so many shades of rape apologia that we really should honor their diversity. Am I right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Ray, what are your thoughts? Tell us how your thoughts have changed uh, over the years about Bill Cosby. 
Um, well, fortunately for me, I was never married to this idea of like Bill Cosby as my dad. Nice. <laughs> I have my own dad, I nice. guess, and um, and I'm a little younger than the Cosby Show, really. So, like, I that's so Ray, <laughs> Sonny. <laughs> so, like, I'm about the same age as Raven Simone. So, the Cosby Show didn't shape my childhood, maybe the way that it shaped a lot of other people. And I actually remember the Autumn Jackson situation where there was like trying to extort him out of money, and then. Pretty soon thereafter, hearing about who I now know to be Miss Constant. And I remember hearing about that story in like 2005. I just vaguely remember hearing about pills and Bill Cosby and an unconscious woman. And when I started doing stand up comedy, Bill Cosby was still touring, I want to say maybe like 2010, 2011. And I was seeing a comedian at the time, and he was Dating. super stoked. Dating Right. Yeah. Okay. And he was there. super stoked about getting his Bill Cosby tickets and like was really, really hyped. And I remember being in his apartment and he was like, yo, I was like, yo, he rapes shorties. And he's like, what are you talking? I'm like, yo, he drugs women and he rapes them. And he was like, well, I never heard that. I'm going to go see his show anyway. And incidentally, after Hannibal's um, viral video took off and all more all these women started coming forward, that person with whom I hadn't been in contact for a while sent me a message and was like, "You were right. I should have listened to you." Six oh, years right, ago. but he had to hear it from a man. He had to hear it from a man. And Hannibal, or... Bur Hannibal, the Hannibal to whom Ray is referring is Hannibal Burris, a comedian who has a very famous bit that helped kind of blow up this this reality about Bill Cosby and respectability politics and his career rapism. Cosby has the smuggest old black man public persona that I hate. This kid's on TV. Pull your pants up, black people. I was on TV in the 80s. I can talk down to you because I had a successful sitcom. Yeah, it was great women, Bill Cosby, so kind of brings you down a couple notches. I don't curse on stage. Well, yeah, you're a rapist, so... <laughs> I don't know why, what I'm doing by telling you. I guess I want to just at least make it weird for... Uh, <laughs> right. So there isn't a big loss for me. Right. It's not I'm like not... you revered him in the first place. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can intellectually acknowledge that somebody has been culturally important right. um, without sort of losing all sense of reality. I mean, like, he's a person just like everybody else. And, well, we know quite a few people are rapists, so there's no reason why this one couldn't possibly be, you know? Right. And, Jay, what about you? You're nodding. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm old enough that I grew up on The Cosby Show, but I did not have that sort of paternal hero worship relationship with it. I, I was more of a what's happening kid, first of oh, all. The nice. <laughs> uh, thing about The Cosby Show for me at that time, you know, I was a teenager through most of his run, was it, it was, and I, I'm not sure how this may or may not relate to the current situation, but to me it was this sort of dishonest, old school, conservative, fairy tale moral landscape where the parents are always right. And by the end, the kids come around to learning the parents' lesson, which to me is just fake. Because mm -hmm. I grew up, as most of us did, in a family where we're all dysfunctional human beings and all kind of <laughs> stuff goes on. So to me, uh, Roseanne, though she's kind of taking a right turn into the wilderness nowadays, that show to <laughs> me was a, that was a groundbreaking show because it really showed each member of the family as fully full, flawed human beings. Like that was a portrayal of 
an American working class family that was real to me in a way the Cosby Show never was. So, and, and I've always respected. He's an incredible comedian, no doubt. You know, a lot of people have said often that they hear Bill Cosby's cadence and how I talk in my videos, and that's not an intentional thing. Um, but I, I think that's so. you can definitely hear that there if you listen for it. Huh, I'm sure that's in the mix of my subliminal influences, right. but. I mean, I was—I never had that strong an affinity for him. And once the pound cake era came along, I was done with it, right. basically. Right. Plus, if you've been around people who are in media, especially black people that have been around, like I came up in the late 80s, early 90s um, with a group of people named the Creative Union Collective here on WBAI who were talking for years about Bill Cosby's past, like, you know, long before, and they certainly weren't the only ones, but if you know anyone who was around at that time, they know someone who knows someone who was in mm -hmm. a room with Bill back in those days. And a lot of the stories they'll tell you are not about any of the women who have come forward. So that's, I mean, that's been an open secret. And I, I never knew it went this far. I didn't know specifics, but I knew there was a sordid background going way back. And I, you know, I think people who try to, well, I mean, I don't even want to get into dissecting all the denial that's going on because well, it's, it's a depressing scene. Right. But, but I think that's important <laughs> to talk about, right? I mean, one of the, the biggest issues with this is that not only is it like the typical rape denial that we always see and the rape culture that we always see, but you see people presenting this as an issue of racial injustice, as if mm. he didn't have 50 women accuse him of rape. Now, to be totally clear, there are so many cases in which black men and women, everyone from Marissa Alexander to Harry Williams, who's on death row in Pennsylvania, where they've totally been can I say S-C-R-E-W or no? Like the turn of a... Screwed over by, uh, by our <laughs> racist criminal... Thing. Thank you. Our racist criminal justice system, right? But you have, like, Eddie Griffin, and I don't know how I'm going to go on living my life without his comedy, says there is a systematic effort to destroy every black male entertainer's image. They want all of us to have an asterisk by our name. And he said that in response to... Uh, the Bill Cosby charges. And of course, that made me think that given that reality, you would think that Bill Cosby would have refrained from becoming a serial rapist. But <laughs> he was fearless. And then the game said something about how this is such a terrible distraction from Black Lives Matter. Oh, that's so lame. Yeah. So that I, is so lame. I want to know your thoughts, and especially you, Ray, because I feel like the way this conversation is unfolding, it's as if there is Bill Cosby, who is a black man, and then there are white female victims and if there were only white female victims it's not like it would have been okay but the black female victims are not very visible in this conversation well so surprise, surprise. i think so i think with people who sort of put forth this idea that there's trying there's this like attempted destruction of the black man people like eddie griffin are the kind of people who think that black liberation doesn't necessarily include black women mm. because if you think that the way to black liberation is to allow the abuse of half of the population or more than half, given what the actual numbers are, of, then, then you don't believe in black liberation at all. You actually just want access to patriarchy that ma white males have access to, right? So there's a lot of people who bring up Woody Allen or a lot of people who bring up Roman Polanski when you talk about Bill Cosby and they say, well, this guy got away with this and this guy right. got away with this. It's like... That doesn't matter. That is uninteresting to me right now. Right. Because the idea that equality is everybody getting away with rape as opposed right. exactly. to <laughs> Yeah, I like that. Nobody. That should be a bumper sticker. It's, 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 that's, that's 
silly. Right. So we can that, say that they that certain men have gotten off and there may be a racial component to their not being. Well, there definitely are. Yeah. But that's but so, that doesn't that, I mean, mean that we then congratulate the black. We want the black right, exactly. rapist to get away with it to like exactly. level the playing the raping field, if you will. Right. Um, so it's like so there's so there's that element of it, and then. Two, it's just kind of like these whole distractions from Black Lives Matter. Dude, he was raping shorties before Black Lives True. Matter got Another started. Good point. You know what I'm saying? Thank this you. is a case from 10 years ago. Thank you so much, Ray. We're going to have to have you come back, and you, all of you come back, because this was just the tip of the iceberg. Um, Ray Sani. Ray Sani on Twitter, R-A-E-S-A-N-N-I on Twitter. Tariq Daniels, T A R I. Hey, yes. Daniels and Jay Smooth, whose Twitter is not Jay Smooth. It's what is it? It's Jay Smooth. Nine nine five. Nine nine five. You need to follow him because he's like a, a couple billion short of of the seventeen billion followers that he needs to have. Um, and, uh, Gabe Pacheco. And Gabe Pacheco. And but your Twitter is Gabe uh, unders- underscore Pacheco. Pacheco. Yeah, that's it. And come down to three eighty Atlantic to see Jay Smooth in person. We will interview him about his favorite snacks. I bet you'll never guess what they are. And we'll see you next week. Katie Halper Show, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Find us on iTunes. See you soon. Bye.